going to read from the Bible, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. From to which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And that is the word of God. Well, indeed, it's good to be with you here this morning. Would it ever happen? You might well have asked. I was asking myself. The wrong kind of snow, wrong kind of ice seemed to be the problem last time. But here we are. Hair getting longer, but there's another matter. We have actually a wonderful, wonderful topic ahead of us this morning. I have, I don't know how much time I have to try and squeeze in this wonderful topic this morning. It could fill a thousand sermons. It's the work of Christ, isn't it? The work of of Christ. Who can fully expand on that, explain that to any congregation? Well, I have the time I have to try to say something. But I just want to remind you, if you were here back in October, wasn't it, when we looked at the person of Christ, well, there was a subject. And I don't know whether some of it perhaps was a little new to your ears, I'm not sure. We're looking at... uh, such weighty, weighty matters, and matters really that were quite beyond human comprehension. They take us into the the immensity of the being of God. Because we were looking, uh, just to refresh your memories there, at our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as we look at him, his person, is his person. Within that, we say he has two natures, being fully man and fully God. And that as being as such our Lord Jesus Christ, he's one person. So that he's not sort of flipping between deity and humanity and, uh, you know, at 10 o'clock he's this and 11 o'clock he morphs into that. But no, he is one person aware of himself as a person and bringing into what he is as a person, I always say effortlessly, seamlessly, the reality of his two natures, God and man. Now that boggled the mind and it boggled it even more when we said, well, actually, when you had seen the person, Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, if you'd seen him in the cradle, manger, in the arms of his mother, or seen him at any other time, including when he's on the cross, by the way, we said, as the second person of the Trinity, he is still upholding all things by the word of his power. So while he's dying on the cross, he is actually giving life to people, and while he was the baby in the manger, he was actually supervising the births of millions, millions of people at the same time. Because in seeing him, our Lord Jesus Christ, you have not exhausted what it means for him to be the second person of the Trinity. He hasn't stopped being that because he's there on earth. So there are some pretty big things for us to try to consider. And we looked, and here's Hebrews chapter 1, isn't it? It is just so full of language about his deity. There's plenty more in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, or take us into his humanity. But his deity, just established, and the way that it's framed in Scripture. So many things are questions, aren't they? Because for those people then, angels had become something of, of, of an issue. They thought the angels were like mediators and they're relying upon angels to get them to heaven, if you like. And so the contrast is made, well, are angels called the sun? Are angels invited to sit at the right hand of God? Do angels get the kind of words spoken to them? I have a throne, O oh God. No, that's the required answer. And you're meant to work that out, you see. No, 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 not at all. There are plenty said about angels and wonderful things there are, but not the things that are said about the sun. And all the language, all the language requires us to believe fully in his deity. And that's established there. But we're talking about the work of Christ today. And it's there actually in what we're reading, and it's going to be there, of course, throughout the entirety of the book of Hebrews. And in great detail, it's going to be worked out just what the work of Christ is. But it's actually spoken of in just a, a phrase uh, within the words that we have before us here. That, that is, that he had in verse 3, by himself, don't miss the fact is by himself, purged our sins. Purged our sins, driven them away expelled them, made them now to be in the sight of God as gone, as now nothing, removed far from the sinner. Because everything that is said about him 
the person that he is, including some of those mind-boggling things, he has to be that person, two natures, God and man, in order to do the work that Scripture tells us that he came to do, to purge our sins by himself. Didn't need your help, didn't need my help in that. He did that entirely by himself. But he wouldn't have been able to do that, wouldn't have been able to do that work unless he had been precisely, precisely the person that he is. One person, two natures, and bringing all of that into the work that we're looking at this morning. So you can see within this, I guess, yes, the incarnation, God coming in the flesh, the enfleshing of God was vital. It had to happen. It was not just one option amongst many options. No, it was absolutely vital. And, of course, you go on from that, that the cross was absolutely vital. It could not have been in any other way. If he's going to purge our sins by himself, he is going to have to die. And if he's going to have to die, that means he's going to have to be human, he's going to have to be born, and following through everything else there. Of course, the world out there, when it comes to Christmas, or it comes to Easter, is fumbling around to try to understand the incarnation. So Christmas becomes something vague, doesn't it? That he vaguely comes to give peace. He vaguely brings us joy. And you read the leaflets that you might get through your door from whatever church, and you're struggling to understand, well, why? Why did he have to come like this to bring peace and joy? How does it happen? It's not there, is it? It's missing. It's missing. Or Easter, the cross. Why did he have to die on the cross? And you look, and it's missing. It's not really telling you what it is that he did, the work that he accomplished, and why it had to be this particular person, no one else, who could accomplish it. But this is the detail, isn't it? Scripture is detailed. And our salvation is not something vague. It's something where God has given us the detail. And the detail is important. And the detail of Christ's person, nature's, is vital. Because the work that he's come to do is very particular. Is that word there? Very specific very focused, and it needs to have, therefore, all of the precision that only God can bring to the task. So, here's a question, what is the work? That's deceptively simple, in a way, purging our sins, isn't it? Yes, that's the work that he came to do. But we often miss something here, and that's why so many of those leaflets miss something here, because they miss two vital things. Firstly, they don't understand how deep we are in sin. They don't really understand sin. They don't quite understand how it is what we are by nature. Not just the things we do or the mistakes that we make. Oh, we make mistakes, all right, but it goes deeper than that. There's a problem of the heart, and that's not a simple remedy, not a, just a, a makeover or sorted. Neither do they understand the glory of God. And what that means, what his holiness means, what his justice means. 
justice. Do we really understand that? Holiness. Do we really understand that? We'll refer back to our problem of the heart sin. Ah, we don't fully understand the glory of God and his holiness and majesty. We don't understand fully what his justice really means. How that leaves us actually in perhaps a much, much worse place than we perhaps even realize. So here we are. What is the work he's got to do? Well, it is to deal with our sin, with our hearts, with the depth of depravity, putting it in those words there, our total inability to love God, to respond to God, that we are dead and we are inert. And our nature generates lawlessness, rebellion, disregard of God's law, dismissing it disrespecting it and him and it goes very very deep as we're suggesting it comes out from the mouth and it will be seen in the actions sure but you have to go beyond the words beyond the actions and go to the heart and you'll find oh dear it's sin and it's just there thoroughly in bread and it affects the attitudes of the heart and prejudices and wrong kinds of motives that are there and half of it putting in those terms we don't even know about it we're not even aware just how how serious the problem actually is that we can behave towards each other is bad enough that we can act against each other family life work situations church life whatever else that's bad enough. We see the expressions there, don't we, of selfishness, and we see the, the expressions there of unfaithfulness and cruelty and violence and, and, and all the rest of it. That, that is certainly bad enough, and we require from each other forgiveness and apology and, and these sorts of things. And we somehow expect it, don't we, that, that that should come, because we've been wronged. But then take it further. God's justice... God's sense of fairness and equity and what is right. Well, that takes us into another league entirely. Because people in the world will understand, okay, you can upset other people and forgiveness and apologies. Yes, that should be given. But God is not so much in their thinking. He needs to be. Because that's where the real, real problem is. That's where our sin registers the most that it is offensive to God that it goes against all that he is as a holy and just and upright God who hates iniquity hates evil that it is repugnant to him that his whole nature recoils against it strongly it is such a disturbance to the whole moral order the moral universe that he has made that the response cannot be uh, a mild rebuke, uh, a warning letter, do better next time. No, the response is sure, and, and it is firm, and it cannot be changed. And it's there. That is it. The offence is of such magnitude, because the person who's been offended, God, who is the lawgiver and the, the maker of heaven and earth, is, is so glorious and majestic, the death is the sentence. And that seems to people, oh, I can't believe it God like that. Is, it really, is sin really that bad? Is he, doesn't, can't he be a little bit more happy with us than this? This is rather severe. No, that, that's the God who is the God, who has always been 
and always will be. And we should be very thankful, actually, when we become Christians, that he does uphold this world, the moral universe, that he is actually concerned about justice and the wrongs that are done in the world. But he's very concerned about the wrongs that we have done against him and that we do not take him seriously. We do not respond to him, respect him as we should. And so there are no excuses that we can offer. The offense is huge and God's character requires the response that he issues, that those who sin shall die. So we're left asking a question, aren't we? Well, how? How can there be remedy? How can we be moved from where we are under his condemnation with a huge death sentence, which means that physically, you know, physically we die, but that's just a token of a greater death, the second death. That is when we are punished in everlasting destruction in hell. And that, that is, that's where the sentence really, really comes in and bears down upon us. How can we find remedy? What might change that circumstance? Well, if you're following with this, well, if there was someone who had equal dignity with God, God the Father, say, Who could bring, because he has dignity and worth and standing and stature, who could bring against the infinite horror that sin is, the huge offense that it is, could bring a remedy that somehow was equally huge and infinite in its its, its power and in in its, its weight? I suppose that would bring about a change, wouldn't it? That there is God offended and having displeasure because of our sin. But if someone could satisfy the the, the cause of that displeasure by being able to bring something out of his own worth and dignity to undo that, that that would work, wouldn't it? I wonder who could do that for us. But wait a minute, we said somebody has to die. Somebody has to die. The sinner has to die. But what if, or somehow, that this, this person might be, who has got equal dignity to the Father, could also be human and could die. Very, very much actual die. And, and could have in that death, not only the physical death, but experience what it means to be condemned and to taste something of the second death and feel the weight of God's displeasure and wrath that is the experience of those in hell. Somebody that could have that dignity but could also die. Or what if? If that person could actually so change your status and mine from being sinners to being positively loved by God and being regarded by God as exactly the sort of person who might be entitled to be with him and spend time with him in eternity. Could somebody do that? Could somebody, for instance, live a life of absolute perfection and obedience 
that that life could then, because it's lived by a person of great dignity and worth, but who's also human and having to deal with the temptations of this world and succeed where we fail, that that person then will be able to make a gift of his life, the life he's lived, which was perfectly obedient, and, and which, say that God could say about life, that he's well pleased with it and that this is his beloved, and that that thing could be given to you and me, that he could make a gift of his life, which has pleased God, and that that life could then be accounted to you and me, who are sinners and you haven't lived that life, but because of this great gift can live and have that now as our status before God. And I wonder if somebody is anywhere around who could do that. You've got your answer, haven't you? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He meets all of that. If that's the work that's needed for us to be in a good standing with God, to have eternal life, to know God, to please him, to be forgiven. So all the sin is blotted out, what death requires there, because that's the penalty of sin. That's what it requires in God's eyes. It looks like, because of who he is, in precise terms we looked at him, it looks as if he'll be able to accomplish the work that you and I need to have a relationship with God, forgiven, to become worshippers, to pray to him, to be able to be encouraged, to have hope in this sad and fallen world, to be able to come through pandemics and come through crises and come through wars and have a hope that is solid, certain and secure. Ah, he does all of that, doesn't he? He does that. Nobody else does that. But he does that. He does that entirely and perfectly. And that, therefore, is why all that we learn about the person of Christ has to be all in place for him to do the work that you and I need him to do in order that we can be forgiven and that we can, well, rejoice and be glad in heart. So here is this person of dignity who is able to die. And before he died, he was able to live. 33 years of absolute righteousness, of pleasing God with every word, every thought, every imagining of his heart. It was all good, pure, perfect, and is accounted as such by God. So my second heading, if that was what is the work, second heading is this, the work needs a man. So really, in a sense, we're just going back over the ground that we've, we've looked at. We're just going to look in a little bit more detail at it. It, it needs a man. This person has to be fully human. And if you remember last time we were looking that we're human, but it doesn't just mean that we use eyes and fingers and whatever else there. It means he's got to have a soul and a will and desires, everything that makes us human. So this is the person that comes through the incarnation. And of course that incarnation... God coming into the world, he comes in uh, his absolute sinless perfection. Because what use to us will be someone if sin is coming with him into the world? He will have to die for his own sin in that case. He can't die for anybody else's. But we know, of course, the virgin birth ensures this, this miracle of miracles, this plan that nobody, nobody saw it coming quite like this, did they? That... He would be born of a virgin, born therefore sinless, unable to carry his sinless humanity 
through all of his days. So Luke chapter 1, verses 34, 35, the, the answer that was given to Mary's well, valid question. Verse 34, Luke 1, when the angel came to her in Nazareth. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. His. He'll be sinless. Because this is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not an ordinary birth. There's something supernatural here. And that's going to ensure that his humanity is perfect, unstained by sin, having nothing of the, the instinctive sinfulness, lawlessness that we bring into the world. He brought none of that into the world. And, of course, he's going to live a life there. You can read through the Gospels and see how does he behave how does he respond when he's provoked? How does he deal with enmity? Oh, put him on trial, a false trial. How is he going to deal with it? Well, of course, we know he deals with it all remarkably. There's something incredible. His responses, what's in his heart, what comes out, the love for people who deserved only wrath. And yet he met all of their insults with such dignity. Well, there's a summary of these things in Acts chapter 10 when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and, and preaches there. So in Acts 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him doing good. Well, it sums it all up there, doesn't it? Doing good and what good it was to undeserving, ungrateful people, some who were going to turn around and be very instrumental in having him put to death. He did good to all. Well, that's the work there that we need. We need somebody to have a record of really good works, coming from a really good heart, and for all the really good reasons that he loves God wholly, and he loves his neighbor wholly. And so that gives to us the the, the, the work of a pure and a perfect man. We need that. And he provides that. His whole life doing good and pleasing God. But that can then become where God then will show his mercy towards us and draw us near to himself by declaring that we are holy on account of his son. That his good works are as though they're our good works. As though he's looking at his son. Not at you and me. I don't know how your morning started. You were right there, weren't you? You were fervent in prayer and that. Your first instinct was to rejoice and to praise God. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. Yes, but then he's looking and he's seeing his son. As though his son was there in all his joy at doing the will of God and his joy at going to the synagogue, as was his custom, and hearing the law and the prophets read. His joy at doing good for his neighbor. Well, that's then accounted to us. But it needs a man to be able to live that kind of life for us. And there it is, 33 years of righteousness, of doing good. And can we be sure that this humanity that it was his, that this... This life, oh, and then this death, that this works. 
Is it, is it secure? Can you and I really trust this? Because it's important, isn't it? If we can't, that's it. We're still estranged from God. We still have no hope in this world. But he came back from the dead, didn't he? And he rose again. And that was the vindication of everything. This is the one. This doesn't happen to anybody and everybody. And he predicted it would happen, and the prophets predicted it, and David predicted it in Psalm 16, and it happened. And we can marvel, and we can say, but that shows it's all true. That God brought him back from the grave, proved that he was the son of God with power. We have a living hope. We can trust him. He's alive today, and there he is now at the right hand of God on high. Glorified humanity. Showing us a future there, isn't he? Showing us a future there. So it needs a man, and there he is. One who was then raised to show that this is absolutely guaranteed. And of course, third heading work needs God. A perfect man could only get us so far, but not far enough. All his works, yes. His death, yes. But it might, if he was just a perfect man, have, have some value there but not the value that we need. We would need somebody who brings into those works a value that makes that life just beyond what a perfect man would be, or that death beyond what the death of a perfect man could be. They can make that death so valuable, so precious, that it annuls and cancels the debts of millions upon millions upon millions of people and completely erases them all. That would have to be some death to do that for all of those people and do it so thoroughly that there it pacifies the wrath of God whose justice and all that is in him as an upright God is, is there incensed against us that can pacify it and bring, bring it to, to a conclusion. It needs somebody of huge dignity to do that and, and that life that then... A gift can be made of that life of righteousness to millions upon millions of people and that they can all be declared righteous too. Well, those works would have to be very, very good works. Can a perfect human alone provide that in the sight of God? Can that be done? No. He needs to be God. And so invested into the death and invested into his life and invested into everything that he did is also now the dignity and the worth of his Godhead, that he is also the Son of God. And so the death is extra valuable and extra rich. That's not to say that God dies because he can't. The immortal, putting it poetically, dies, but only because the person of Jesus Christ dies. The second person of the Trinity didn't die. He, he would not be God if, if he had died on the cross. So we have to get our heads around that a bit. But the death of the person of Jesus Christ, well, because he is himself two natures, it is as though the value of his Godhead is invested into his death. And that his blood, therefore, is so, so precious. Just as his life was so, so precious that this can be now made a gift as many as needed and can be so absolute and totally applied that they are righteous in the sight of God and they are so forgiven on account of the blood that was shed because the blood 
and the life and everything about our Lord Jesus Christ has all the value of his deity added to it. So you see, on those grounds, if you accept that sin is as grievous and as terrible an issue as I believe the Bible describes, and that God is of such infinite glory, and his perfections, his holiness, his justice are out of our sight, and then we can't really grasp how offensive it is to him, then we might see that it actually needs this work to be done by this person in all of its particulars for us today to be here, happy, I hope, in the Lord Jesus and blessed in him and whatever the morning has started out for you and you found the boiler had packed up, you know, like the coldest nights we've had or whatever the start of the day was, burst pipes here, whatever. But actually, in the end, that doesn't count. It's this that counts. And you can be settled and secure and confident because the person that you and I need has done the work that you and I need and that we can look beyond this February day, we can look beyond pandemics and we're seeing glory to come. So my final heading is this, your assurance rests on the work and the person who did that work. Your assurance, my Assurance and assurance is so, so valuable to know these things, to know it in your, in your soul that this, ah, this is it, and you know it. And whether you got toothache today or an ingrowing toner, whatever else you got today, that's there. Yeah, but I know this, and this is what counts. That's assurance depth of that confidence well may god grant you and me more and more of it and the more and the more persuaded we are the person who did the work well the more and more we will be assured when i prepared this message well back in the autumn there we were renewing our Household contents, insurance, such things you have to do. You want to see the small print. and It had been on my mind, this, and then it was done. Good. It was nice. Nice. That's sorted. That's sorted. Put that away in my file. Don't have to think about that for another year unless the boiler packs up and we burst mains or whatever else. I don't know. But it's sorted. And the detail, it's all good. It's all, it's all there. Well, expand on that to the peace of mind that you and I are entitled to hold and to have. And there is our Lord Jesus Christ. My sins are forgiven. Dear friend, if you're a believer this morning, your sins are forgiven as well, and you can be sure of that. The right person has done exactly the right work, and you can be assured in that. You can look forward, think of this, to the day of judgment. Think of that. The day of judgment now out there people make out that they're not they don't think about this they don't think about this oh yes they do oh yes they do and they might put on a brave face and try to be atheists try to be an atheist yeah they try try hard some of them try over hard don't they they're so loud and they're so protesting and everything getting excited and animated there oh no deep down in your heart you know that there's a day coming and you're going to have to face this God who you deny or 
try to move out of your, your, your consciousness. Most people, isn't it, there? They're, they're, they're too busy. And you kind of, when you're doing open air work, they, they get a bit unsettled and, you know, I'm, I'm all right, thanks. They kind of know they're not all right, thanks, but that's the best answer they can come up with because it's just opening up a chasm and they can feel it and they feel uncertain because somewhere, somewhere it's telling them this, this is real it's dangerous and it's a bit scary that there is a God and a judgment and that you will face this God. Well, so will you and so will I. And, well, I can say there's a lot of things if I look back on the, the life of Chris Hand that doesn't make for good reading. Doesn't make for good reading. Doesn't make for good reading on the best of days that I might have. It doesn't make for good reading. There's stuff going on. And I'm afraid there's stuff going on with you as well. But here is the thing. We confess that, but we confess it with hope because we see a finished work, completed work. We rest in him. We sigh about ourselves, sorrow that for all that we know, we produce so little. But then when all's said and done, it's all about him, isn't it? He himself purged our sins. It wasn't you, it wasn't me. He himself. And we shake our heads about ourselves. But we still then look up and say, well, thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for him. And I'm so happy and assured in him. And I can look on to the day of judgment. I can say that day, oh, there will be so many things that God could bring up against me there. But he looks at his son and he looks at that mustard seed of faith that, that I have, that I've believed in him, trusted him and nobody else. And whenever I find other things over there, I get rid of them quick. It's about him. And we can look on to that day without, without fear. I also believe, and this is part of my assurance, and I hope it's part of yours too, that he didn't leave it up to me to kind of work it all out from here, to somehow live it out so that by some sort of living I could deserve these things, all right? Mm-hmm. That having started with grace, this undeserved favor, this gift that you and I didn't deserve, but which we have been given by the grace of God, that then it changes, and you become a Christian, right? Well, the terms and conditions are now altered. And you've got to somehow deserve this. You've somehow got to live in such a way as to deserve it. No, it doesn't happen like that. I'm glad to say, otherwise that will be it. This gift that we were given suddenly is crumbled, it's turned to dust. Now, this gift... It's forever. And once we have come to him, then he doesn't then require of us more than we could give as non-Christians and actually more than we can give him as Christians. Even if we are filled with the Spirit in the best sense of that term and living out the life and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, as if any of us could do that entirely. No, he doesn't require that of you or of me. And he's obtained for us all that we need, even the grace of the Holy Spirit, so that you and I can do better. We're never going to deserve it, but we can do better. And we'll take hold of the Ten Commandments more and live them out a bit more thoroughly and a bit more purely in that way. There'll be more of a desire in us. And we're being sanctified. He obtained all of that at the cross. He got all of that for us. He, He obtained the Bible for you there that you can read and understand And he obtained, he purchased for you and me, the Holy Spirit. So when you read it, it'll make sense. And you'll read it and you'll want to do it. 
because the Holy Spirit is working in your and in my life. So he didn't leave it up to you and to me. We're able to pray to him. Prayed this morning when Ryan opened the service in prayer. It's real. You and I pray to him. He's at the right hand. We read that here. Majesty on high. Been raised, glorified humanity. The man there ever representing us at the right hand of God. And so you can pray to him in Jesus' name. It's as if you're saying, whatever I'm praying, I'm only praying it because I'm confident in him. And I'm relying upon him. So I'm nobody, but he's everybody. And I know my heavenly father, you love him. And I'm clinging to him. And I want you to hear my prayers, please, because he's everything to me. And those prayers will be heard. Because you're right. The father loves the son. Loves what he's done. Loves the work he's done. Loves the person he is. And therefore loves any that have come to him. And are now... In him. So pray with conviction and with boldness. Pray with assurance. Because that's that's your standing and my standing in his sight. You pray. We can pray. And the fact that he is in heaven, and I finish with this. Well it means one day you and I are gonna be there too. You and I are gonna be there in heaven. Well, okay, Ironville, Jacksdale, got their attractive points, and uh, Crite, yeah, and the sunshine, don't come on a cold, breezy day like yesterday or today at the beginning of. Yeah, it's a beautiful world, lovely things we can see and enjoy, and I hope we like each other, and we're Christians, and, you know, on a good day, that works, doesn't it, there? But it's going to get better. Because, well, you and I, we'll be there. We'll be seeing each other again. Uh, and that's good news. And we've had a couple of funerals at Kreitsch. And we've had a funeral here in the last few months of a, a friend we've been attending. We're all going to be meeting up. But the biggest thing of all is we're going to be meeting him. And he hasn't changed. Do you know that? He hasn't changed. If you find him exciting and wonderful as you read the Gospels, you find that there's just something always happening with him and that you never stand still with him. That's heaven. It's not static, okay? It's not just sort of frozen time. It's happening. It's a happening place because he's at the center of it. And you and I are going to be with him and you and I are going to have eternity to get to know him better and better and better and to get to know each other better and better and better. And we'll be getting on better because you'll be pure and sanctified and so will I be and all those things that are about me or about you that sometimes don't make it all quite happen they'll be happening fine in heaven and that's our future that's actually our future and whatever going on out there in the world there's plenty of that isn't there whatever the future for our nation the future for the world and there's some pretty sobering stuff going on and things are moving and we look at that with our Bible's open, and we think, what's that moving towards? Hmm? Well, whatever. And whatever day you're going to have to live in, and our children are going to have to live in, fear not, worry not, that that's the final place. And it was always going to be about that. That's why he came, that we could then be where he is. And he's preparing a place for us there. And you and I, imagine it, are going to be there with 
him. That's the person. That's the work. That's what he's undertaken to do. And it won't fail. It won't fail. And you and I will be held on to and kept. So whatever the temptations are that are going to hit you at some point or other and hit me at some point or other, and they already have, haven't they, but there'll be other ones to come, whatever hardships, whatever disappointments, whatever heartbreaks, whatever comes, his promise to you and me will not fail. And it all hinges on the person and the work that he's done, the logic all logic here you see it just follows that's what scripture is it's logic it just follows that's the implication of that and that's good news and that's the implication of that that's also good news it's all good news actually and so we should rejoice and be thankful far more than we are maybe the lockdowns taught us to value the things that we've been deprived of so when we get it all restored whatever we'll appreciate it all the more we won't take that for granted again But the things that God does for you and for me just on the day-to-day basis, we're not thankful enough, are we, really? Or rejoicing enough, and we're so often gloomy and worried and depressed or whatever else we are. Sure, that's not to minimize the problems that life does throw up, but we should never minimize the help that comes from heaven, from this Lord Jesus Christ to his people, whom he loves deeply loves deeply he wouldn't have done any of this unless he loved you and me very very deeply so there we are and that just begins it really how many passages we could have turned to how many more things we could have said but we'll rest there with that and i'll hand over back to ryan at this point